So uh, imagine this, if you would, for a minute. Um, you're, in, you're in school, make-believe. Uh, you're in high school. Maybe some of you guys are, but for the rest of us, uh, just imagine you're a, let's say you're a junior in high school, and uh, on Friday, you've got a math test. And it's kind of a big deal for you because you've been struggling. You, you never, you're never really that good in math, ever. Uh, this year, particularly having a tough time, the last test you took, uh, you just about passed. Uh, the teacher you have is a brand new teacher and he doesn't even really know the material as well as he should. Um, and you just, yeah, it's just never been your strength. And the test is Friday. And on Wednesday, I, uh, somehow another student has gotten hold of the test. He found it somewhere in a folder on the teacher's test desk. And he offers you a copy of the exam. So you could, uh, I mean, what are the options? The kind of simple enough, you could re refuse the offer, just go back to studying. Or you could uh, take a picture of the exam. Now you got it. You got the questions, and you could just, you got the questions. You know, you're good to go on Friday. Um, so you think about it a little bit, and then you, uh, you take the picture. And then you take the test. You kind of justify it. You say, well, I didn't, I didn't take the exam. I didn't steal it. Some other kid did. This kid just gave it to me. So, not that big a deal. You haven't really done anything wrong, right? At least that's what you're kind of saying in your head. Now, here's another scenario. Fast forward, I don't know, let's see, 20, 20 years. You're out of college. You've been working maybe 10 years. You work in this office where there's a rumor. This rumor has been spreading, it's been going around about this guy that you work with. And it's not a good rumor. You know what's being said about him isn't true. You know it. But people are talking it up. You also know that if it gets out to important people, this guy is probably going to lose his job. That's how big a deal or how serious the rumor is. His departure if he gets canned, it's actually going to benefit you because uh, you're probably going to get his job. So what do you do? It's a little bit like the exam, right? You could uh, send a memo to your boss, which is this guy's boss, and you defend him and you tell him, listen, I know, I know for a fact that what's being said is just not true. Or you could just keep quiet, say nothing. It's really not your business, right? That's how you kind of justify that one. And like I said, if this guy gets, gets the boot, you're getting his spot, which is going to mean a pretty serious raise, which means you'll be able to redo that kitchen way ahead of schedule like this year. Realistically, you aren't even thinking anytime soon about this kitchen being done as much as you wanted it and needed it to be redone. You get this job, you're having dinner in 
four months in a brand new kitchen. And regarding the exam, let's go back to high school. The college you want to go to, you know for a fact that they check high school grades, especially junior year, especially math. You know it. You know GPA matters to the school. It's not just based on SATs. So you need to do well on this test. And if you fail it, you go on probation and you play football. Probation means you're riding the bench. If you're on probation, you don't play. And you really need to play this weekend. And temptation is so powerful, isn't it? A little justification here, a little rationalization there. And before you know it, I'm doing things that just aren't who I am. This is just not who I used to be. Like I'm becoming somebody else that sometimes it's even hard to recognize. The parable describes it this way that we just heard from Jesus. He talks about wheat and weeds, virtue and sin, the good guys and the bad guys. So what are we? Are we the wheat or are we the weeds? Well, I mean, we're both, right? <laughs> if we're at all honest, like, we know we're both. On our better days, yeah, we're way more wheat than weed. But in our not-so-good moments, man, it's easy to drift from one to the other. It's easy to go from wheat to weed. Not, not that other kind of weed I'm talking about that he's speaking about. because they take root right near each other. They kind of grow right next to each other. So think about it, like in any given moment, in any given moment of temptation, how stupid we can become, how weak we can be. I get blinded by greed or anger or lust envy, I'll use a person, I'll trash a person in order to get what I want. You know, when we put it that way, it sounds awful, right? Man, I hope I would never do that. But sometimes we do. Like we can become the biggest weed in the garden. There was this, this is about 20, well, it was the year 2000, 23 years ago in Georgia. In the Georgia State Legislature, there was this uh, pretty important vote for this bill that was being proposed. It was a hate crimes bill. And it was very, uh, the people who were pushing it was very, very intentional because they were, I guess around that time, there were particular uh, attacks on uh, minorities, 
a lot of just ugly like remnants of the South was being uh, sort of like churned up. People being beaten up, swastikas, um, horrible, horrible stuff. So what this legislature said, hey, let's let's up this hate crimes thing to just like drive po home the point that this this can't happen. We have to get away from this stuff. This sort of like horrible thing that's part of our DNA because of where we're from and because of our history. So if we just kind of like you make the punishment all the more, maybe it'll kind of wake people up. So anyway, there's sort of a, a debate back and forth about it. And it wasn't expected to, to pass at all until this particular representative got up and he spoke. Nobody expected him to say what he said. Everybody thought he was going to vote down this bill. And he uh, spoke about this woman that he knew well, that he loved, who was a big part of his life growing up. And he told this story about this woman. This is part of what he said. She began working for my family before I was born. She was a young black woman whose own grandmother raised my mother. Mary, or Maymar, as I called her, came every morning before I was awake to cook breakfast, so it would be on the table. She cooked our lunch, she washed our clothes, but she was much more than that. She read books to me. When I was playing Little League, she'd go out and throw the ball with me in the, the backyard. She was never afraid to discipline me. She expected the absolute best out of me. One day when I was about 12 or 13, I was leaving for school. As I was walking out the door, she turned to kiss me goodbye, as she always did. And for some reason that morning, I pulled back and turned my head. She stopped and looked straight into my eyes with a look that I'll never forget and I'll regret forever. And she said to me, you didn't kiss me because I'm black. I denied it, but I knew she was right. She knew I knew. Anyway, he went on then to talk about his family that he loved. But he described a family in a, in a history, a very southern family. He said he had ancestors that were fought for the Confederacy during the Civil War. He had ancestors who owned slaves. He said he was raised in a culture with a certain set of messed up values among a certain set of people in a certain time and place. And part of that meant when you're a little boy, you don't kiss a black woman on the cheek in public, even if you love them. And now, years later, he's standing up before his colleagues, and he said that was just wrong. We came from a wrong set of values. Anyway, his speech apparently brought down, brought the legislature to their feet twice. Standing ovations, literal standing ovations. And the bill was passed. Absolutely because of the testimony of this guy.
I think what the guy was saying was... Sometimes we're the weeds. And we need to acknowledge when we are. It's this parable. It's also this part of the parable. Change. The possibility of change, the possibility of conversion, the possibility of growth. The possibility of going from being a weed to wheat. There was this uh, Russian uh, scientist, he was a botanist, like a plant guy. And he lived back in the end of the 19th century. His name was uh, Nikolai Vavilov. Anyway, his whole life, this guy studied wheat. He just was like an expert on wheat. So the next time you think your job is boring, think about this guy. Like his whole life, he was just checking out wheat, the way it grows, the way it lives and dies. Anyway, along the way, he discovered this... Uh, kind of principle by virtue of just watching and he started looking at the weeds that would always be present around the wheat and he said if you uh, if you manipulate the situation a little bit the weeds start to mimic the wheat they stop being like weeds in like a variety of ways. It's called the Babylonian mimicry. The bad guys start to mimic the good guys. And then the bad guys become the good guys. The point is, the weed can change. It's this gospel. The weed can change. You know, like that congressman from Georgia. That's exactly what he was saying. He's like, it was time for change. You know, think about, certainly those of us old enough, but even if you're not so old, think about some person or those people, maybe hopefully more than one in your life, some teacher or coach, family, mom or dad, a grandparent, maybe an, an aunt or an uncle, an older brother or sister. Somebody who just challenged you at some point in your life when you were kind of screwing up and they lit you up and they told you, come on, enough, like you're capable of more. This is not you. I know it's tempting to steal the exam, but it's not you. I know it would be nice to have the new kitchen by Christmas, but not that way. That's not you. To me, it's like this difference between the, the wheat and the weeds. And when you have somebody in your life who can be that voice, it's like this whole mimic thing. I start acting different and less like a weed when I'm around quality wheat. I mimic the truth in my life. Hey, maybe that's why the 
the landowner in the in the parable is patient. He won't pull the weeds out. You know, the slaves come up and like, hey, we'll go out, we'll pull the weeds out. He's like, no, don't. Because if you do that, you're gonna end up pulling some of the the wheat the wheat uh, the wheat out. Some of the good guys will be ripped out with the bad guys, so don't. He wants to give it time to evolve and to change and become something greater. And that's God. That's how God is. Don't believe it because I'm saying it. Believe it because his son said it. Believe it because of the words of this parable. And this parable is not about farming. It's not about wheat and weeds. It's about God. It's about how God treats us when we're not at our best. He doesn't rip us out. He doesn't yank us out. He sees what we are. He doesn't say we're wheat when we're weed. He doesn't look the other way. But he sees what we're capable of. He sees what's possible. Sometimes when maybe nobody else can, and sometimes, sadly, when, when we can't. He always does. First reading. Book of Wisdom. It says, the description of God. He's the master of might. Though he's the master, he sounds like a superhero. Though he's the master of might, he judges with clemency. He's patient. He doesn't give up. Well, that's really important for us to understand God that way. Because some, too many people see God in another light. A God who's impatient and unforgiving and lacking mercy. Well, they just got it wrong. Somebody with a messed up notion of God taught them that. And they didn't know what they were talking about. So if you want to know the way God is, go to his son. Like the gospel parable we just heard. Hey, we shouldn't be surprised. Look at the culture we're living in. The culture we're living in is what the slave said. Hey, the weeds, pull them out. Cancel them. If you're declared a weed, you're done. Something stupid thing you did in the past, way back when, you said something, you did something, and you're finished. There's no mercy. That's so merciless. But we shouldn't be surprised because we're living in a pretty godless culture. So you take God out of the mix, God is mercy. So when you take God out of the picture, there's not gonna be a lot of mercy floating around. And then we're in trouble because we've all been weeds at one point or another. So we can all become victims of this cancel craziness. Godless cultures lack mercy. Christian cultures manufacture mercy. You know, I was up in uh, Boston this week for just a couple of days. And I've been there, I think, three times, but it's such a cool city, so much history. It's like every street corner, it seemed like there was a statue 
all these Revolutionary War heroes. And I'm telling you, they, I'm no history expert, but these guys were heroes. The chances they took, the risks, signing documents and declarations against the crown, which meant if we lost this thing, they'd be dead. But they said, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to take that chance for the sake of freedom. Paul Revere and John Hancock and Samuel Adams, there's so many of them. They risked it all for freedom. Great men. Hey, but they also lived in imperfect eras. In some respects, terrible days. Slavery, the way women were treated, the way children were treated. So they weren't perfect. Nobody's perfect. You don't blow them up because of their past. You don't literally knock over the statues. Because we wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for them. Our past is never perfect. But our God doesn't cancel. So neither can we.